As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. Our biggest takeaway has honestly been just doing the construction loan up front instead of trying to cash flow it. That's the most important thing that we learned. And when we were coming up and learning the game a year ago, we hadn't been exposed to that idea. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com, and in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the best ever conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know, Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday you're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Best of your listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I am your host today, Theo Hicks. And today, well, we have a repeat guest. We'll be speaking with Colin Douthit. Colin, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Theo. And yourself? I am doing fantastic. I'm looking forward to speaking with you again. And uh, this time, as you guys know, it's, it's Saturday. So we're doing Situation Saturday. So we're going to Talk about a sticky situation that Colin is currently in and dive into details on that. Some lessons learned that can hopefully help you avoid a similar situation in your real estate business. But before we begin, a little bit of background. Colin is a real estate investor, general contractor, and property manager. Currently owns over 70 doors, which he's actually acquired in the past 24 months, as well as manages over 50 doors for other real estate investors to learn more about how he was able to acquire those 70 plus doors in 24 months. Make sure you check out his first episode, which aired on October 6th. Colin is based in Kansas City, Missouri, and you can say hi to him at colin at atlas.rentals. So Colin, before we get into the situation, do you mind providing us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure, Theo. 
So uh, as you stated, I started off as an investor, started acquiring properties. And as I was going along, I was having some troubles finding good, reliable contractors. So I went ahead and started a contracting company that really just focuses on rehabbing uh, rental properties and working with kind of like third-party maintenance as well for any other investors that are out there or property management companies that need that service. So with that, we just kind of specialized in what we knew and what we were comfortable with, which was rental properties. And additionally, we had already incorporated a Buildium, so a property management software that we had been using. So we decided to go ahead and roll that out as well to investors so it could be a uh, one-stop shop for out-of-state investors that needed to do a rehab on a home, to do property management, just kind of whatever they needed to help take care of them. But it was all really developed out of my own personal needs. And again, if you want to learn more about Colin's background, we talked about how to find property managers, how to find GCs, about raising money. We talked about all of that on the episode on the 6th of October. So definitely check that out. As I said, on this episode, it is Saturday. So we're going to talk about a specific situation that Colin is actually currently in. So Colin, do you mind just diving in and kind of painting a picture for us about this situation? Yeah, absolutely. So we were looking to acquire properties. This was back in 2018. We were still buying a lot, buying as, as fast as we could find them, frankly. And we were presented with a package of homes in a smaller town near where we live. We do some investing in the city of Kansas City as well as out in some of the smaller rural towns. This was in one of those smaller rural towns. There was a gentleman that was getting out of the real estate business. He had a number of investment properties due to health reasons. He was leaving the business and the industry. So we said, okay, let's, let's do some analysis on this. There was 16 single-family homes in this package. So we did our analysis. We did our cash-on-cash cash return was great. We had plugged in 20-year amortization on our calculator, making sure we're going to have plenty of cash flow. We knew that there was a lot of deferred maintenance. They were Class C properties, and we had every intention of taking them up to a Class B property so that we had a nicer asset. We would add value, and we'd be able to increase the rents over what they currently were. During that process, we didn't really get a hard commitment from the bank. And when we were on the banking side of things, we said, okay, we're just going to take out a loan for the purchase price. We're not going to have any additional funds out there for rehab or construction because most of the properties were occupied. We said, we'll just cash flow the rehab. This won't be a big deal. We'll just spend a few thousand dollars in each one, and that's all that needs to be done. So as that process goes along, we get to the closing table, and we didn't have an LOI or a commitment from the bank. They had just been kind of wishy-washy. Yeah, that's what we'll do. 20 years, that's all good. And we get to the closing table, and they throw a 15-year amortization at us. So that was the first issue that we came into. So closing day, we get there for 15 years at a 20-year amortization. We look at the cash flow. We know that we're going to take a hit on cash flow, but we still feel like it's a good deal. So we still continue to pursue it and go ahead and go through the closing process and buy it. Because really, it was either we lose all the money and time we had into it at that point, or we just go ahead and go forward with it. And then we buy the properties. And then as we are going through the rehabs of these properties, taking them over, starting to the management, we start getting a few more vacancies than we were expecting turns out the previous landlord was a very poor landlord 
and had upset quite a few of the tenants just due to deferred maintenance, due to lack of contact, any host of reasons. He was just, just really a poor landlord in general. So we start getting these vacancies, and then we start going in them and seeing what needs to be done. And our initial estimate on what needs to be done was maybe a little bit lower than what was actual, but we were banking on having more cash flow, so it shouldn't have been a problem. But when you compound the fact that we have a shorter amortization and higher vacancies, that starts to make the cash flow a real issue for getting into these rehabs. So next step is, that kind of brings up to present day right now, we have been cash flowing a number of these rehabs as they go along, doing what we can to add value to these properties. As soon as they come vacant, we paint, we repair, fix broken stuff. And then when the major things come along, that's when we really notice and really miss not having had done that construction loan initially, which is what we would have done looking back and knowing what we now know to be able to tackle some of these bigger items, put in all these systems, put on numerous roofs. And what we're doing right now is we are actively searching for another bank to work with us to do a refi out on it. We do have a lot of equity in there, plenty of equity that we could still go up to 70% loan to value and have a large chunk of money to then put back into the properties and have them up and running at full speed and where we want them relatively quickly. However, not all the bankers want to lend in a smaller rural town with a little bit lower price point on all these houses. Numerous ones have said, well, if this was closer to the city by about 30 minutes, we would have no problem with it. So that kind of summarizes it and brings us up to date and that's kind of the whole backstory on this situation that we are in. I appreciate you going into extreme detail in that situation. So it sounds like the few challenges were one, the loan itself, and then two, the previous owner, and then three, the deferred maintenance. So let's kind of take a step back. And we mentioned that this was an owner who was leaving due to health reasons. So this is an off-market deal that you found, or was this owner actually listing these properties for sale? This was brought to us by a realtor. It was on the MLS. Uh, they had each property listed individually, but then they had essentially they want to sell this whole thing as a package was the goal. Okay. And the realtor knew that we were looking. He is a realtor out in one of these small towns that we work in. I actually live in one of the smaller towns, but then work in the city. So he was the connection and that's kind of how we came across it. And the owner actually was a realtor on the side, basically had it just so he could buy and sell rental yeah. properties. Okay. So before the closing table, what sort of due diligence did you do on these 16 properties? Did someone go out and inspect all of them? Did you guys go look at all of them? What was your overall due diligence on these properties? So a little bit of background myself. I'm an engineer slash project manager for commercial construction companies. Mm-hmm. And then my partner on this job as well, we actually met in school. He's an engineer as well. He's a practicing structural engineer. So we have a fairly good handle on any major structural issues and, and some general construction practices. So we were walking through the house. We went through and we walked every single house. We took pictures and we made notes on, hey, like, this is what's going to need to be done mm-hmm. once the property becomes vacant. We didn't note any major structural issues. We did note, okay, these roofs are probably on their last leg that they're going to need to be done pretty soon. These interiors on these units are pretty rough, but we're not going to go rock the boat and go kick tenants out right away to start rehabbing these units. Our due diligence was essentially just walking all the properties, taking photos and making notes. Okay, so compared to your initial estimates from that entire process, not even really initial estimates, 
but this kind of list of things like, okay, here are the 20 things that we need to do. After you took on the property, did that list remain at 20? So the prices were wrong or did that list grow from 20 to 30 or 40 or were there things that you didn't identify up front that ended up being an issue after you actually closed just from a strictly renovation standpoint? Yeah, from strictly a renovation standpoint, I would say that it was some of the unseen stuff that really started getting us. Water leaks, soft spots in floors that we weren't expecting. Once we got the previous tenants out, then there was stuff that we had seen before. HVAC issues was another one that kind of came up and was an oversight on our part for not inspecting them thoroughly enough. It's now something that we take a much harder look at and try to say the age and budget, even if it doesn't need to be done, we now budget for those. But actually just had a phone call with my AC repairman today that a compressor on one of the houses, it's vacant right now. We're getting ready to put on the market and the air conditioner wouldn't fire up. And it was a uh, air conditioner compressor is completely locked up. So we're actually having the new compressor installed this week. Well, best of your listeners know, I can totally relate with the HVAC issues. I don't want to tell myself too much, but I bought three, four plexes. I had boilers that were all completely shot. And so I had to drop like uh-huh. 20 grand in the first few months to get the boilers actually work. So I totally understand that from all my deals moving forward, I'm getting a boiler expert and an HVAC expert to expect all of that stuff. So I can relate with you on that front. So moving forward, just to wrap up the renovations, what are some things besides you know, obviously making sure that you've got an HVAC person or you inspecting those more? Do you have any other kind of lessons you're applied moving forward? Do you have a contingency just to cover these unexpected things? Yeah, absolutely. We put a much larger contingency and construction budget on it, knowing that on a Class C property, there's honestly going to be more stuff that you don't see that's going to pop up once you get the tenant out and start digging into it. There's going to be roof leaks or pipe leaks that you weren't expecting. The HVAC is probably going to be dated. Single pane windows with storm windows are are really common out in this area with a certain age homes. So if you replace all those, are they all working? A larger contingency and a larger construction budget would be what we would do now going forward. All right. So that was one of the aspects. The other one was the loan. So you mentioned that you didn't necessarily have a hard commitment from the bank, obviously up until closing, because they kind of pulled a switcheroo on you and said one thing and ended up doing another thing. So what are some lessons learned, some safeguards put in place for future deals so that you don't have that switcheroo happen at closing? So... Basically now that bank still has our loan, but we're not pursuing any new loans with this bank, but we are making sure that the lenders give us some sort of commitment and LOI if it's a bigger package or commercial loan, even if it's a smaller property through a hard money lender, they give us a term sheet. They analyze the property and give us a term sheet within 24 hours and say, yeah, here's what we can do. Here's what you need to bring to the table. Here's what your monthly payment is going to be. And here's what your interest and amortization are. Yeah, because 20 to 15, that's a huge difference in debt service, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. 15 to 20 is a bigger jump than 20 to 30. So, yeah, that was a real kick in the teeth. Mm-hmm. And then on the construction loan aspect, so you're looking at a deal. How are you going to determine in the future whether you're going to do what you did for this deal, which was just take out a loan for the purchase price and just front the renovations with the cash flow? Or, okay, maybe a budget threshold or a per unit threshold that – you say, okay, we're going to go ahead and include renovations in this loan and then refinance out once we're done. It's a very much a case-by-case basis. If it's going to be a property that just needs $5,000, maybe a fresh coat of paint and a little bit of touch-up here and there, to get it rent-ready, we'd probably just roll it right into a typical traditional 30-year loan. If it's something that's going to need more extensive work, we are 
starting with construction loans right away, okay. putting together estimates, putting cushions on those estimates, and then making sure all of those numbers still work when we put it in our pro forma to make sure it's going to be a good deal and that we have plenty of give. And frankly, when we are doing a lot of stuff for our kind of turnkey or hybrid turnkey customers that we work with at the out-of-state investors, we're going to tell them, hey, let's start out with a rehab loan here. And if we think it works and costs fifteen thousand dollars, we're going to go twenty to twenty-five on the spreadsheet to make it work, and hope mm-hmm. that we can over-deliver and cut their construction costs. Exactly. All right. And then the third point was, I guess we'll call it previous management. So obviously, when you're dealing with single-family homes, I know on the one hand you can look at this as a sixteen-unit building, but it's really not because on a sixteen-unit building, you've only got one roof, maybe a few water heaters a few boilers or HVAC systems, whereas for SFRs, you've got one of everything. So you've got 16 roofs, 16 HVACs, 16 yards. So whether you're looking at multifamily or you're looking, well, I guess my point of saying that one vacancy on 16 single family homes is a lot bigger deal than one vacancy on a uh, 16 unit building, especially when you're doing rehabs. Yeah. yeah, it can be. At the end of the day though, we have enough and still try to have enough cushion that we can sustain 25% vacancy rate and still be just fine. Okay. Uh, the one vacancy, it is very similar if you have a 16-unit multifamily building. Just from the debt service aspect and the financial aspect, it's still getting paid the same note because it's a portfolio loan. If you have 16 different individual loans, they're owned by different LLCs. If you put each company, each property in an LLC, then you might feel the pinch a little bit more. But since mm-hmm. this is all in one company, we own a few other properties. This is a bulk of the properties that this company owns. We can kind of wash the vacancies out a little bit while we're not going to be making the money that we want to be making. We're still going to be able to cover all of our expenses and then continue to fully cash flow the rehabs on the other properties. Okay. So I've already talked about kind of the physical due diligence on the property. Is there anything you can do to determine the mindset of the, the tenants that you're inheriting and estimate, okay, you know, on average, if we're buying a hundred units, we expect 10 to leave. But if we do this and find more details and we figure out that the previous owner is really bad, a lot of different maintenance, half the tenants have issues that haven't been addressed in years. So instead of 10 people leaving, let's project that 25 are going to leave. Is there anything you can put in place to do that? Or is that something that's just kind of random? If it happens, you got to figure it out. I think that you need to go into it with a plan instead of just winging it. And we've done this on future renovations with properties that we've owned, as well as with out-of-state investors that we've worked with. Personally, we're working on the rehab of six duplexes, all in one package, all in one area, and a lot of deferred maintenance, 60% vacancy and 75% vacancy, actually. So there was only four occupied units at the time of the purchase, and we knew we were going to be getting rid of them. So we had to do cash for keys for one, and then one split, and one is still there, and then one just decided to leave recently as well. But if they are a property, and we're rehabbing this property and bringing it up, probably two levels, to be honest with you. If you're going to be doing that and you have an extensive renovation, you have a property that you know or properties that are really dilapidated and it's multifamily, I would go ahead and plan on kicking all of them out or asking them to leave or cash for keys if they're month to month, give them 30-day notice. We're doing that with an out-of-state investor that's got a eight-unit building and had one vacancy. So we're starting this week on the rehab for this one vacant unit but we are going to go ahead and give 30-day notice to two of them, probably the two lowest paying tenants, 
and start rehabbing those units and then start doing two at a time. So we'll get two vacant, rehab those, won't take too long, but about a week, week and a half per unit, and then get them back on the market, get them occupied, and give the 30 notice to the next set. So kind of phase it in and out. Mm-hmm. But I would plan ahead of time on a complete turnover. And that's what we plan on all future projects. If it's already occupied and we're going to be bringing it up and renovating and bringing it up a class level, I just plan on at some point having every unit go vacant. Well, Colin, is there any lesson learned as it relates to this situation that we haven't talked about already? I would say no, not really. We've dove into all aspects of it. Our biggest takeaway has honestly been just doing the construction loan up front instead of trying to cash flow it. That's the most important thing that we learned. And when we were coming up and learning the game a year ago, we hadn't been exposed to that idea. Okay. And then we get exposed to the idea and it made total sense. So I guess it's one of those learn the hard way things, but we try to share it with as many other investors as we can. All right, Colin, I appreciate you coming on the show again and sharing this situation with us. Again, some of the lessons you learned from this deal, as you just mentioned, pursuing that construction loan, if there's going to be a lot of repairs that need to be done. We've had to kind of switch a roof from the bank at closing. So the lesson there was to get an LOI or some sort of harder commitment from your bank so you know specifically what the debt service is going to be, what's amortization, down payment, essentially all the loan terms before you go to closing so you're not kind of surprised and feel rushed had to make that decision right at the closing table. We talked about from a vacancy perspective, you're doing a value add, going there with a plan, and that plan might be getting rid of all the residents and renovating all those units and bringing in people completely new. And then lastly, we talked about the actual physical due diligence and some of the things that you look at in more detail now, as well as making sure that you are having a contingency budget, especially when you're looking at these C-class, lower-class properties. So again, Colin, I really appreciate it. Enjoy the conversation. Again, as always, best of listeners, thanks for listening. Have a best of your weekend, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you, Theo. Have a good night. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. What if you could earn 10000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Guarino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more.